Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Modern Horse Training and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. So today is one of those days where we're just going to have a nice visit with just the two of us. We don't have a special guest with us. And instead, we have a lot of topics that we want to explore together. So we're just going to ping pong back and forth between things that Dominique wants to talk about and some things I want to talk about. And so, Dominique, why don't you start? Yeah, sure. I'd like to start with disengaging a horse's hindquarters. Ah, okay. So in some traditional training, this is a tool that people use to, and I'm using air brackets, to submit yep. the horse. Yep. It's a tool that control a, again, I'm you doing do air brackets, yep. disrespectful horse. Yes. That's not how you use it. That's no. not how you teach it. And that's not the mindset. You do use this tool, but not at all in this mindset. So I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Okay. So And that came that actually came from the summary you did of the last coaching, coaching session. session. Yes. yes. Which yes. which prompted me to talk about Yes, because in the yeah. last coaching session we were beginning to look at the beginnings of lateral flexions. And in the summary, I talked quite a bit about disengaging the hindquarters. And, what and maybe we should we should define what yeah, we mean or, by that. Well, yes, yes. Okay. So I'm just, just my giving head, the context. Buzzing, right. Sort of buzzing through what is the beginning point? So how far back do you uh, wind things? So begin with a human example. If you were standing shoulder width apart, feet parallel, and you brought one arm straight out to the side with your elbow not bent. So your, your arm is straight out to the side. Your, your arm is straight. It's very stick-like. And you had a friend come and push on your hand. So say you made a fist and you had a, your friend come and push on your fist. You would find that they could push quite hard and you could just relax and talk about the weather because your bones are lined up and you would be in a very structurally secure stance. But if, and let's say you, you brought your right arm out to the side. So if you now stepped, took a step so that your right leg crossed in front of your left leg, and brought your arm up, and the person pushed on your fist, you would find that they could push you right over. That you've just taken all of your stability away. You've taken all your power away. We've disengaged your hindquarters. That's basically what that means. So sort of like in a car where you have a stick shift and you go into neutral. You can't do anything in neutral. So you have to move the stick shift up to whatever gear you need, and then your car has some power and can move. As a matter of fact, you sometimes also hear people say that when you disengage the hindquarters, just to continue on your automobile example, that you shut the engine down. Yes, uh, though there's a bit more to 
uh, you take away the horse's power. So. Yes, yes, you're definitely taking away the horse's power, which is why a lot of individuals want to disengage the hindquarters. So let's move to another example, which is one that if any of, I think everyone has watched nature shows, seen, oh, like the wild dogs in Africa bringing down a zebra. Yeah. And the predator leaps up and grabs the zebra's nose and the zebra has his neck pulled around to the side. And so in that orientation, his, he's disengaged, he's forced to disengage in his hindquarters and it makes it much easier to pull that zebra down. Mm-hmm. So in certain forms of training that drawing the head around to the side is exaggerated mm-hmm. and it's not just well, let me get the horse to flex his nose a little bit to the side and to bend his neck it's like let me take the horse's nose around to the rider's knee yeah and hold it there yeah and so in some forms of say the one rein stop for example the horse's nose is held to the rider's knee. And when you do this, you know, the horse may resist for a little bit, but he's very out of balance. Mm -hmm. And he is going to be afraid of falling because he's very vulnerable to falling at this point. And you are putting him in the same position that you would put, that a predator puts a horse into. And so you're no, you begin to shift out of fight and flight into freeze and give up. Yeah. And the, the horse begins to prepare for dying and right. just begins to shut down. And this is called relaxation by <laughs> some trainers. This is called, you know, yes, we are dominating this horse. It just makes me feel... The horse is now submissive to you. Submissive, right. And when you put it in these terms, when you see it in these terms, it just makes you feel just so very, 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 very sad for the horses and also for the people who are taught to use these techniques without putting it, having these techniques put into this context. Right. And so, so some of us may say, I'm just not going to do this. Right. But you are going to stay away from you it are. altogether. Yeah, but that's not true. You are going to do it because whether we are a kind trainer, positive reinforcement trainer, or a harsh trainer, we all need horses at times to disengage their hips. The horse is spooking. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a horsey moment. Any horse can be startled. Any person Mm. can be startled. You can have a horsey moment. So the horse startles and starts to jump forward and you've got him on a lead and you ask the horse to bring his nose towards you. When the horse brings his nose towards you, his hips go away from you. If you have taught it well, so if you've taught it as, well, this is just a dance step. When you bring the horse's head a little bit to the side and his hips swing away, it doesn't scare him. 
He doesn't feel threatened by it. He knows the, the pattern. And actually by having the horse disengage his hindquarters momentarily, that allows him then to rebalance. And often in that moment where he rebalances, he that allows him to find a balance, a pattern that is better suited to protecting his joints, keeping him sound, having him carry himself well, all those things that fall into the domain that, that we so value. So it isn't that, well, those people are evil because they have the horse disengaged in hindquarters, and we are noble because we never do. It's, it's, we recognize that there is a place for asking a horse to yield his hips, that it is an important part of being able to be safe around a very large animal. It's an important element in the working hand. It's an important element in developing a horse's balance, which we need for riding, which we need for rehab work, which we need for all kinds of, of reasons. For longevity and wellness. Yes, yes, yes. And for just some of the activities, like going through a gate. When you take a horse through a gate and he walks, you, you get the gate open, you walk through the gate, and then he swings his hips around so that you're turning and facing the gate so you can close it. You've just asked the horse for a very functional reason to disengage his hips. Now, if you've never taught him that maneuver, it will feel really clumsy and awkward. And you'll both, you'll be, be like dancers who are stepping on each other's toes. And we want the dance to be a little more elegant than that. So the other piece of this is we need to recognize that as big and powerful as a horse is, the hip is a delicate joint. And we need to treat it as a delicate joint. Mm. The jaw is delicate, you know, in the same way that our jaws are delicate. Think of all the people who have, what is it, TMJs, and that gives them headaches and so on. Our jaws are delicate. And our hips are delicate. Think of all the people who have hip pain and have hip replacements and so mm. on. So we need to think of, yes, this is this is a horse with his big, beautiful, massive hindquarters. Inside of that is a delicate joint that we need to protect and take care of, which means that the teaching process matters. So as always, as always, you know, I know how in an emergency to slide down a lead or a rein and connect to the horse's hip within one stride. So if I'm sitting on a horse and I don't know, a firecracker goes off behind him and he jumps within the techniques that I've learned in the single ring riding, et cetera, that I've learned, my reaction pattern would be to go far enough down that rein that in one stride before the horse can leap forward and be bolting off into the next county, I've disengaged his hips and interrupted that. And that's for safety. But I don't want to make a habit of that. So what I really want is to be able to ask through what I refer to as a good, better, best, bestest practice, 
where you are asking in small degrees. So you you slide down a lead, you slide down the rain, you ask for, it's basically a, a hello. You're sliding down the rain and you're saying, hello, are you there? And it's just a tiny little make a connection via the rain. All you really want is for the horse to respond with, oh, yes, hi, I'm here. And then you release and you slide down again. But now you're sliding down just a, a little bit further and you can because the horse, that first hello, it's like bending a coat hanger. That first hello makes it, make, brings the horse's head slightly to the side. It softens the horse so that when you go a little further down, you can meet him at a different point. So it's like you're saying, you're thinking of a long sentence. Hello, are you there? Could you bring your head to the side? And each give takes you a little deeper into that sentence would be one way of, of thinking of it. So I ask again, my horse softens to me, I release, I slide down a third time, my horse softens to me, but each one of those softenings changes the orientation of the horse, changes his balance, changes him enough that the fourth time I go down the line, I can say to him, hello, are you there? Could you soften to me? And by the way, could you give me your hip? And the give of the hip might be simply a slightly deeper step up underneath the horse's body if this is a horse who's just learning the pattern. Or in a horse who's much more familiar with the pattern, he'll, he'll really step up underneath his belly, swing his hips over, and you'll get a true disengaging of the hindquarters. But you've taught it in these stair steps that are saying it's basically a get ready, get set, go. So it's get ready, get a little more ready, get set, now give me your hip. And all of that preparation lets the horse set himself up so you can do it politely, softly, in a way that, that protects the horse. And you can click and reinforce. So if, if, for example, in the teaching, say I slide down the lead and I'm working with a horse who has not had a lot of prep, and what I encounter is, is no hello, just a stiff, you know, a stiff lack of response. Well, then I'm just going to slide down and say, hello, are you there? Ah, you acknowledged me just a little bit. <laughs> Click and treat. Hello, are you there? You acknowledged me a little bit. Click and treat. And I'll just work on the first phrase of that longer sentence until I've got a clean loop. And then I can go to the second phrase. I get a clean loop and I can go to the third phrase so that by the time it's predictable. And when I slide down the lead, my horse is going to say, hi, yes, I'm here. And I let go and I slide down again. And the horse is going to say, I'm even more here. And I slide down again. And the horse is, is really letting this ripple all the way through his body. So it's predictable that on that fourth pickup of the rain, what I will get is a direct connection to the hip. And then when I'm through with that, I can, I'll click a treat, and then I can also continue on into like the three flip three, where I ask for three more softenings. So I'm surrounding the give of the hip with, you could say I'm surrounding it with, 
I'm, I'm coming. I, I'm going to ask for this. I'm going to ask for this. I asked for the hip. And then essentially I'm saying, was that all right with you? Was that all right with you? Was that all right? Yeah, with you? I like that when you, because we, we talked about that too in the last coaching session and someone was saying, well, I'm not sure if my horse is enjoying this. And you came up with this idea of surrounding the give up the hip with all these little yields so that it's not like this drill on the hip. Right. It's just kind of within a lot of other just little gives to, I guess, make it more... You're recognizing that you're asking for something that could be unpleasant because mm -hmm. you're asking for that moment where you feel a little unstable. Right. And you're surrounding it with lots of reinforcement. Yeah. You're So you're not just going in and doing this nasty thing and going away, but by surrounding it and preparing the horse, then that give of the hip Actually, and I'm assuming that we're talking about a relatively sound horse. So not a horse with inflamed hocks and or other soundness issues that are acutely painful, but just a reasonably sound horse. So that by the time you've gone through this teaching process, the give of the hip is now disconnected from you are a predator taking down a zebra. And yeah. it's no longer an unpleasant, oh, I don't, no, I don't want to yield my hips. But it, it, it's not just what you're describing. It's not just that you're asking and reinforcing it when you're not just surrounding it with the reinforcement, because you could just ask for always the give up the hip and not do all the little preparation before. And I think that wouldn't be as successful but it feels like the fact that you're like you're not asking the full sentence every time when you're preparing the horse to get there. You know, there's a point where, like you said, for the horse, he will disc it, it would it will no longer be unenjoyable exercise. So maybe you can go to the longer phrase quicker and more often and but all this preparation before, and there are, I think, lots of exercises in, in the course, in the coaching session, in your work that leads us to this. You know, I'm thinking, for instance, about backing in a square. Yes. Which is, I don't, is it part of the foundation lesson? Or it's, is it just it's backing? A, no, it's, it's, it, it is embedded in the, that the early in the foundation lessons. Yeah. So it's not just backing, but it's learning to to steer backing. So mm. backing in a square is an extension of just, can I get my horse to back? And then um, going around a cone. Yeah. When you go around a cone, uh, you're, you are essentially asking a horse, when he commits to the turn, you're asking him to disengage his hindquarters. So in, in a, something as simple as going around a, a cone, going around a small change of, going, having a change of direction, you are- Multiple mats. Multiple mats. So there, there are lots of lessons and lots of places where when you, when you start to think about it, you recognize, oh, I am asking for this dance step. 
um, whether I thought I was or not, when I start to look at it, yes, I am asking for this dance step. Now, how do I teach it so that it becomes more accessible, so that uh, it becomes more useful, that my horse knows how to set himself up and be better prepared for that moment where he steps up underneath, and then that he learns how to rebalance through that step so that what you get is a horse that knows how to step up underneath himself and lift his outside shoulder up so that you get a horse that is no longer falling over his inside shoulder or popping out through his outside shoulder. So it's also essential in terms of teaching horses not to barge. Yeah. So a dance step yes. rather than a way to yes. control a disrespectful horse. Right. Quite a difference. Quite a difference. Yeah. And so the reasons for it are different. The way it's taught are diff is, is very different. It's, it's like everything. If we look just at the, at the outcome, so we could look at a horse that has learned through harsh training methods to disengage his hindquarters. So when you slide down the lead rope, he's swinging his hindquarters over, probably swishing his tail too, but he's, he's swinging his hindquarters over. You don't really know if this is something where you should go, oh, look at how light that horse is. Isn't this wonderful? I mean, that's, a, yes, we should always acknowledge how light a horse is. But unless you know how something was taught you don't really know if it's something that you actively want to be doing to your horse. So it's mm -hmm. the teaching method, not the dance step itself, that is important. Yes. So we all need to take our horses through gates. We turn them out. How do you teach your horse to go through a gate? Uh, yeah. And this idea of reteaching something that may have been taught in a harsh way. Right. That came up too in the last uh, coaching session because we were looking at someone who had, who was doing some really nice to look at foot care with oh, her horse. Yes. And so the way people traditionally teach hoof care, foot care, again, is very different from the way you teach it and it's a good thing because then they don't replay that old baggage, emotional baggage. Right. And you can start on a fresh page. Do you want to talk about how you teach the foot care? I don't remember if we've, we may have already. We have, we have talked about it because we've talked yeah. about, in fact, I think we've talked about it fairly recently. Recently. Because we talked about leg flexions. So we'll just refer people back to the, a previous episode in which we were talking about leg flexions. I'm just wondering if we did talk about more specifically, because in, in this segment in the coaching session, the person was doing it the way you're doing it with, with body targeting, not leaning on their horse, letting the horse participate in their own hoof care, lifting their own leg and targeting the hand of the handler. 
But the nuance you made was, for her, it was like a two-step thing where the horse would, I guess she was touching the elbow, so the horse would lift his knee, and then she would go for the foot target. But you suggested to her to do it in a three-step Right. To do it in three, to do one the elbow, two the knee, and three the foot. Right. I don't know if we if we went. Well, we may not have much. talked about those handling details because, in in one sense, we need to literally send people to the online clinic so that they have and the coaching and session and the coaching really session center. It. Right, because because there are times where you really do need to see. You do. I agree. This like. is why they're so great. The coaching. Yes. Yes. So, but in in brief, if anything is ever in brief, she was teaching leg flexions beautifully. So she was initiating the the lift of the shoulder with her hands at the horse's elbow, and then one hand moved to the horse's knee. And got the the body part targeting of the horse bringing her knee to the handler's hand. So we get beautiful leg flexion. And if all you want is the leg flexion, what she was doing is fine. But And leg flexions by themselves are really a great gymnastic exercise. They are very good for horses. You're lifting the shoulder. You're lifting the leg up. It's great for balance. It's great for strengthening. It's it's a wonderful exercise just for itself. But most of us want to be able to pick out our horse's feet. And so it is also can be used to teach good foot care. So your hands go to the elbow. One hand goes to the knee. Now you want to get your the hand that was going to the elbow unstuck. <laughs> off of the elbow so that it can become a target for the foot. So you're not taking a hold of the horse's foot. The horse targets his toe to the handler's hand. And what that does is it gives you a completely different way of teaching. Pick up your foot and let me take your your foot. Because most of us were taught you run your hand down the horse's leg, you lean against the horse, he picks up his foot, you grab the foot. That's a crude, quick statement of that, but often that is how we were taught. Here, it is done through body part targeting. And you're you're standing a little differently, the cues are different, you're not sliding your hand down the horse's leg. So the context is so very different that a horse who has struggled with foot care, who is badly taught, who's had un, uh, unpleasant experiences with a farrier, you know, whatever it is, this is a way of reteaching foot care because the cues are different. The context yeah. is different. You can, the environment can be different because you, you can teach it not on a tie in the wash stall or you know, wherever well, she was working at Liberty. She's working second. at Liberty. Yeah, was li- right. working at Liberty, and the horse is is lifting his own foot. Yep. yep. Uh, he's not leaning on you, so he has to adjust his own balance. Yep. 
But yeah, and eventually, you know, you may need to hold on a little bit to the foot. Too. Right. Well, that that evolves. So yeah, that evolves. But in the with, beginning, you're not into a fighting match with right, your horse to right. hold on. To you're not. Foot. You're not grabbing. You're not doing the primate thing of let me. Mm -hmm. As soon as I've got the foot, let me close my hand around it. You will close your hand because there. Are, you know, when you're cleaning out that resistant clot of mud. You've got to be able to stabilize the foot or when you're trimming, you have to be able to stabilize the foot. But that's going to be something that you teach through approximations. And you and, can do it a lot without holding on. A lot. Yeah, but if you've got a you know, really hard-packed bit of mud in the horse's foot, you need to stabilize the foot. But if the horse... Um, wanted to get away you wouldn't hold on you're right you know but if we are particularly if we are if a horse is being shot so you know if, if we're putting shoes on a horse there is a point for saying to the horse i'm going to hold your foot mm -hmm. and you you are going to leave your foot in my hand because when there are nails sticking out in the shoeing process you can't yeah. have the horse jerky but if a horse is barefoot and you're keeping the horse barefoot usually you can let go so you know if the horse is saying i need a break normally you can say okay let me i'll let you put your foot down so it depends on depends on what you need how much you teach the horse that i'm holding your foot and i will give it back to you versus you can take the foot whenever you need to. So, but that's all in the teaching process. That's just, a, that's down the road from where we're talking about. And by the way, this person who was working with her horse at Liberty was actually filing her horse's hoof. Yes. Not just yeah. cleaning. Yeah. 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 Okay. Next topic for me. Okay. Yes. Okay. So that was very interesting. I love sometimes the, some of the images that you come up with. So this was a rider who was trotting on her horse in the coaching session again. And the rider, there was a discussion about, because I think you hear this comment a lot when people are riding their horses, that they're not sure what to reinforce, how to recognize when their horse is in good balance and they can click. And so you had this image of a little figure on your on the horse's neck. Yes. Okay. okay. I love oh, that. <laughs> I, I I liked it too. I, I found it quite enchanting. You came but, up with that one? Yeah. I yeah, did. that must be because you're writing children's book or something. <laughs> but I really liked, I think that really, I really I could I could really relate to this yes. image. So I'll let you explain it. I was just about to say, I think it's because I've been writing children's books. So, so people yes, are so. told, look forward. Yes. When they write, so, they're told, look forward. Don't look down, look forward. Right. Yes, we're told a lot of things. But when you're riding, you can see out over the horse's neck. And you can get, you. one of the things to monitor is what is going, what's the shape of my horse's neck? And we had this great series of screenshots from the same horse. So the, the rider was basically free shaping, looking for those moments 
when her horse organizes herself and goes into this really pretty trot where she's very round, very correct in her top line. So she's done enough groundwork prep that and reinforced this enough that this is something that her horse looks for. She's she's trying to get herself organized. But she's not always there. So when she starts out in the trot, her horse typically inverts, meaning her nose goes up in the air, the back of her neck shortens. She does what we would do. So if you were sitting in the chair listening to this, if you look up at the ceiling, the back of your neck is going to shorten and you may feel an effect in your lower back as well. Can you feel that? So mm -hmm. you just inverted. And, and it matters if you were carrying a rider or it would matter if you were picking up, say, a heavy grain bag. That would not be how you would want to pick up a heavy grain bag with your back like that. You would potentially throw your back out. And if you were a horse carrying weight, that's not how you want to carry weight because it's like you're a suspension bridge that's sagging in the middle. And this is also why we want horses to learn to engage their hindquarters and you get them to engage their hindquarters by stepping, by disengaging, stepping up underneath their belly and then stepping so that they can lift up as they take a, that, that step forward with their inside hind. And so she was typically starting out with that sort of inverted horse nose up in the air. And in the screenshot, her neck looked very straight. And so her neck was at a very steep angle coming out of her shoulders to her ears. And then she got herself organized and softened and gave it the pull. So now she's got a really pretty round shape to her neck. And then there were moments where she went past that perfect moment and became overflexed. So now her nose is going in towards her chest and you can feel that effect as well. So if you, instead of looking forward and out, you, you, look, you let your head drop down. So your eyes are going down towards the ground. Your nose is dropping down and you'll feel the back of your neck lengthen, but you may also feel like the weight of your head is pulling your shoulders forward. And so you're more on the forehand in this case, and that's no good. So we had three shapes. We have the very steep shape of the inverted horse. It's just sort of like a straight stick coming out of the neck. Then we had this nice arc of the horse who is beautifully giving at the pole. And then we have more like a, a hill that's dropping down on one side, that's the overflexed horse. So if you imagine that you were a little elf-like creature and you were perched right behind the horse's ears, on the horse that's inverted, you would be struggling to stay at the horse's ears. You would have to grab hold of the horse's forelock and really hang on, or you would be sliding right down the horse's neck into the rider's lap. And so you'd have a very grumpy horse because you're 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 hanging on to his forelock um, to keep from falling off. So that would be, you know, that's one visualization. And the other, where the horse is giving at the pole, well, now our little elf 
could very easily balance behind the ears because the horse's neck is telescoping up and out that gives you just a very lovely perch right behind the ears where you're not slipping back, you're not slipping forward. You can just stay right behind the horse's ears. And when the horse is overflexed, now you picture like a hill. So you would be, if you were that elf, you would, instead of being right at the top of the hill, which is where you would be sitting if you were on the horses giving it the pole, now that hill drops down on the other side away from the rider and you're falling forward down against the horse's ears. And so again, you're going to have a grumpy horse because you're you're crashing into his ears. And if he gets too overflexed, you're going to be falling between his ears, hanging onto his forelock to keep from falling down the front of his face. And when you looked at those three images, it was just so easy to see our little elf um, perched behind the ears. It was quite really enchanting. So. Yes. Yeah, so because, so if you're looking for a visual to help you know, yeah. when can I click? Look for the perched elf. Yes. <laughs> not the sliding, the one that's sliding towards the rider's hand, not the one that's falling over the horse's nose, the one that is perched on top there of the crest. Yes. Thought, I love that image. Yes. <laughs> yep. I can see it as an illustration. We'll have to draw it at some point because it really is fun. Yeah, yes. It's a great image. We'll stop here for this week. I hope you found the image of the elf to be useful as well as enchanting. Some of you may never look at your horse in quite the same way again. Whenever you see him trotting along, you'll see that little elf perched behind his ears waving at you. That is, if he doesn't need to hang on with both hands to keep from falling off your horse. You can see why I like children's books. These images are just so much fun. And you heard Dominique refer to my new venture. I just published a new book. This one isn't a horse book, it's a children's book. It's the first in a five-part series of the Kenyan Bear books. The title is Teddy's to the Rescue. You can read about the book in my blog, the clickercenterblog.com, and also in my website. And when you go there, you'll, you'll see some of the drawings that come from the book, and they are truly enchanting. The holiday season is coming up fast, so I hope you'll consider getting Teddy's to the Rescue for all your young readers. The easiest way to order it is through Amazon, especially if you are ordering from outside the United States. That will save considerably on the shipping fees. But whether you order it through Amazon or through my website, you will be sharing some childhood magic with your young readers. So, next week, we're going to continue this conversation, and we're going to begin with another great image, one that could easily find its way into a children's book, and that is of an alarm clock that refuses to turn off. So, until then, train well, and have fun with your horses. Music